Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Sask Egg Today with Doug Faulkner. Good afternoon and welcome to Sask Egg Today. Coming up on today's program, the president of the Agricultural Producers Association of Saskatchewan has weighed in on the dispute between Viterra and their unions that could go on strike tomorrow afternoon. We'll hear from Ian Boxall. Another organization that's keeping track of the Viterra and GSU Locals 1 and 2 talks that are trying to hammer out a new deal is the Saskatchewan Trucking Association. We'll hear from George Henderson, who is the Director of Operations and Member Services with that trucking association. We knew it was a lot warmer than normal in December, and now we know exactly how much. We'll hear from Terry Lang with Environment Canada. She's a meteorologist based in Saskatoon, and she'll go through the December numbers for us. All of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of SaskAg Today. But first, it's time for the Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. And that's a presentation of Milligan Bio. Milligan Bio now offers bio meal for your livestock, giving your animals more protein, more energy, and more of what they need. It's also brought to you by Sean Prahitka, your REMAX Blue Chip Ag Division Special. Welcome back to SaskAg Today. The president of the Agricultural Producers Association of Saskatchewan, or APAS, Ian Boxall, says Viterra and the union representing its employees need to get a deal done soon, otherwise it will affect farmers' bottom lines. I think they're a big player when it comes to Western Canadian grain movement, both inland and at the port, and, you know, this looming strike that's coming for Friday is is concerning when it comes to you know, farmers getting able to move their contracted grain and move grain and, and cash flow for producers as well that have contracts there. Should more than 400 employees go on strike at 2 o'clock tomorrow afternoon, Boxall says it's one less option for farmers to sell their grain to. He adds the possible strike will likely cause a ripple effect. Right, so then of course that now the railroads who have cars that are headed to the Viterras in the in the you know, inland terminals, what, what happens with those, you know, like there's a trickle-down effect here that, you know, right from the producer to the port that'll have a huge impact on the Canadian economy. Boxall was asked whether APAS members or other producers he knows of have been in communication with Grain Services Union members about the latest updates on their negotiations with Viterra as the union claims they have since last summer. I haven't, no, I have not heard. You know, I don't know the particulars about the about the strike or about what their asks are because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Like, it's they, they need to get this figured out, both the company and the union, get this figured out for the betterment of Canadians in Saskatchewan. Ian Boxall is the president of APAS. Another organization that's keeping track of Viterra and GSU Locals 1 and 2 trying to hammer out a new deal 
is the Saskatchewan Trucking Association. George Henderson is the Director of Operations and Member Services with the Trucking Association. He explains how a potential strike could affect the trucking industry. Definitely the custom grain haulers in the province. Uh, it'll, it'll probably put a, a shortage in, uh, of, uh, of employees to unload grain at the elevators for Viterra. So I've also heard that uh, administrative staff and whatnot at the Regina head, head office in Viterra is, is also part of that union. So it'll probably uh, hold up things like payments and whatnot as well. So, but the trucking industry itself, um, yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll slow things up at the, at the elevators for getting things. He says for now the impact would be small, but could take a turn for the worse should a strike drag on. I think most farmers have a, a bit of a contract and they, they haul things in over a series of, uh, of, of weeks or, or months. So it's not going to have a huge impact uh, uh, unless it extends a long period of time. So I think the, the biggest thing that's going to happen is, is uh, over a period of time after the strike uh, starts, uh, how, the, how the industry is, how the trucking industry is going to be, uh, going to be affected more than anything else. Right now, it's, it's a lot of pers- uh, just a perspective of uh, what might happen or what might not. Viterra and the Grain Services Union continue talks today and we'll keep you up to date on the latest developments. It's time now for the Ag Review portion of our program, and that's a presentation of New Era Ag Technologies in Swan River. GX94, Ag Review. Even though selling activity for canola could be slowing down, according to one analyst, there are too many bearish indicators to predict a boost to prices. Jerry Clausen of Winnipeg-based Resilient Commodity Analysis says that winter seasonal weakness is partially to blame for canola prices hitting lows unseen since June. However, canola's record short position by the funds isn't leaving much more room to sell. Clausen adds that a widening of the March-May spread put pressure on the nearby March contract, as well as declining crush margins. Vegetable oil markets also became weaker due to increased palm oil production in Indonesia and Malaysia, as well as Argentina's soybean crop more than offsetting losses from Brazil. He's also hearing estimates for United States soybean seeded area later this year, to be 4 million to 5 million acres more than in 2023, adding to the crop's bearish outlook. Soybean, corn and wheat futures all came under pressure to start 2024, with the path of least resistance pointing lower still, despite the potential for some end-user bargain hunting. Terry Riley, a senior agricultural strategist with Merex in Chicago, says he remains bearish on corn, wheat and beans, because the balance sheets seem to be a little heavy. However, he adds that traders are still trying to get a better handle on the actual soybean production out of Brazil, with that uncertainty likely to sway prices through the South American growing season. For corn, prices have consistently settled below key moving averages, which Riley sees as a bearish sign. Wheat remains stuck in a sideways trading range, with a focus on global demand and tender announcements. Riley says uncertainty over movement through the Black and Red Seas was keeping some caution in the wheat futures. A new and improved certified sustainable beef framework has been released following its first five-year review. 
It was announced by the Canadian Roundtable for Sustainable Beef, or CRSB. The framework was launched in 2017 as a bid to recognize and monetize sustainable beef production practices. It came up for a scheduled five-year review in 2022. The CRSB set a committee composed of representatives from across the beef supply chain reviewed all parts of the framework. It also got input from stakeholders, experts and the public. This included a thorough review of the CRSB standards for production and processing, strengthened and protocols for certification to improve clarity and consistency, updates to chain of custody requirements, and how CRSB claims are enabled. The claims associated with certified operations and sourced CRSB certified beef were also updated. Canada and some of its allies are warning the Houthis that they will bear responsibility for the consequences of their continued attacks on ships in the Red Sea. The statement, released by the White House and signed by 12 countries, says the ongoing attacks are illegal, unacceptable, and profoundly destabilizing. The Iran-backed rebel group has been firing long-range missiles at Israel from Yemen and attacking civilian cargo ships, and the statement said the group has been significantly escalating its efforts in the past week. Around 15% of the world's seaborne trade typically passes through the Red Sea, but shipping companies have been forced to reroute. The statement says rerouting ships is adding weeks of delays and jeopardizing the movement of food, fuel and humanitarian aid. It calls for an immediate end to the attacks and for release of detained vessels and crews. Germany's coalition government has agreed to change its 2024 budget plans after subsidy cuts proposed to bring spending in line with debt rules angered farmers. The controversial abolition of tax breaks and diesel subsidies for farmers will not happen in one swoop. Instead, tax concessions for agricultural diesel will be reduced by 40% this year, then by 30% in 2025, and a complete end to the subsidy from 2026. The planned abolition of the tax break prompted hundreds of German farmers to protest in central Berlin last month. And SaskAg Today will be broadcasting live from Western Canadian Crop Production Show in Saskatoon next week. Be sure to tune in at 12.11 on Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday afternoon for special editions of SaskAg Today. Welcome back to Saskag today. Mist and minus 7 degrees in the Yorkton-Melville region. I'll have your complete weather details coming up at 1 o'clock. Well, we knew it was a lot warmer than normal in December, and now we know exactly how much. Terry Lang is an Environment Canada meteorologist based in Saskatoon. The records fast and furious and December came up to be uh, warmest on record for a number of uh, places in Saskatchewan. A lot of those places have quite a long period of record, namely Swift Current, Regina, Saskatoon. So for them to sort of beat that old uh, 1997 mark and by some margins a fair bit, so really surprising. As for the level of departure from normal, some places were 8 and some places even over 9 degrees warmer than 30-year average temperatures for December. So that's a pretty significant number. 
But Lang isn't sure this is the strongest El Nino ever. Well, I think we have to give it a a little bit longer because it's just sort of uh, peaking now and the final numbers have to be kind of crunched. And we'll also wait to see if maybe there is uh, some contribution from climate change uh, on this one as well. She then goes into the areas that had the driest December. Well, it's it's sort of a relative um, number when you talk about where it was the driest, but some places like uh, Swift Current came in with half a millimeter of precipitation for the month of December, but surprisingly that was only the third driest December on record. So that's, uh, you know, pretty dry when you only get uh, 0.5 millimeters of precipitation for the month. But places like Key Lake, LaRange, Meadow Lake, they came in with their driest Decembers on record. They have slightly shorter periods of uh, record, but they came in with slightly more precipitation, but it was all relative to how much they usually get. Lang says that this could raise concerns about wildfires come the spring and summer. Uh, Certainly it is concerning, especially when we see the low precipitation numbers in the places where there's, you know, trees that can burn. Uh, But again, even in the south for grass fires in the spring, uh, dangerous as well. So concerning all the way around for agriculture, for forest fires, for what it means for our lakes, our rivers, sloughs, dugouts, all that kind of stuff. As for the entire year of 2023, she says it was quite warm. It was. For the entire province, it did come up out above average for everybody. And the farther north you went, the more above average it actually was. And LaRange came in with their warmest year on record in 56 years, so pretty significant for them. Lang says the higher average temperatures over the course of the year really add up. You know, and that takes into account all the highs and lows uh, for everything. And, you know, we we often don't see big variations this high over a whole year. Monthly, of course, we can see that. But over a whole year, to see upwards of two degrees or over two degrees difference, it's pretty significant. She adds all areas of Saskatchewan were drier than normal in 2023. Everybody was drier than average and even with those that kind of benefited from a few storms here and there, everyone was drier than average sadly and some of the the, the top five even, Key Lake, LaRange, Moose Jaw, North Battleford, uh, Saskatoon was their seventh driest and for Yorkton it was the third driest so in the top ten for a lot of places. Lang says conditions right now point to a severe soil moisture deficit for the spring. Absolutely. Uh, When you do look at the numbers, especially over a year, and considering it's been dry for a number of years, but even this year, places are down a couple hundred millimeters. So you don't make that up in a couple snowfalls, considering that 10 centimeters of snowfall on average will melt down to only one millimeter of rain. So you need a whole bunch of snow to generate a whole bunch of precipitation. So hopefully we get some spring rains and and that type of thing. I see comments on Facebook about people saying, oh, well, we just need a good spring rain and it'll make up for it. You know, it's just it's too dry for that. And it's been too dry for too long to make it up with one or two storms. She says we will need months of slow, steady rains to bring soil moisture back to normal. Exactly. And it has to come at a slow pace, too, so that the ground is able to absorb it and receive it and, uh, you know, put it back into the system, like into the rivers and into the lakes and that type of thing. It's it's not going to be solved um, over, you know, a a month of, of, of rain. 
Terry Lang is an Environment Canada meteorologist based in Saskatoon. Livestock market conditions. U.S. live cattle futures for February are trading at 171.25. That's down 60. April live cattle trading at 174.42, down 32. March feeder cattle trading at 225.90. That's down 112. April feeder cattle trading at 231.37, down 117. February lean hogs trading at 68.75, up 3.45. April lean hogs trading at 74.50, up 2.30. And that's the livestock market conditions. Now it's time for the Heartland Livestock Report from Yorkton. Good afternoon. This is the Yorkton Heartland Livestock Market Report for the week of January 3rd. The Heartland staff would like to wish everyone a Happy New Year and all the best to you in 2024. No sale this week. We're still eating leftover turkey and chocolates. But pay attention now. Big pre-sort next week, 2,600 head, consigned already. If you're kind of scared about the first sale, don't be. You don't have to bring them all, but bring a few. This first sale, one of my favorites. It draws a lot of attention from all the buyers here and from the western and eastern feedlots. Should be a good one. Sorting Monday and Tuesday from 8 to 4. Cows and bulls can come in on Tuesday from 8 to 8. We will have a pre-sort every Wednesday going into January, February, and March. Our first bred cow sale will be Friday, January the 26th. 275 head consigned so far for that sale. Please continue to book your cattle, your trucks, to avoid any disappointment. That's it for this week at Heartland Yorkton. I'm Harvey Exner. Have a good day. Welcome back to SaskAg Today. An Edmonton-based veterinary consultant suggests a well-designed loadout can add an additional line of defense against disease transmission when transport biosecurity fails. In response to a large outbreak of porcine epidemic diarrhea in Manitoba in the spring of 2022, the Canada West Swine Health Intelligence Network coordinated a project which looked at loadout biosecurity. Dr. Julia Keenleyside says a survey of veterinarians showed there's a huge diversity in loadout designs and in biosecurity procedures from farm to farm. So the loadout is the place where the pigs leave the barn. So we often put a lot of emphasis on people and objects and things coming into the barn. The loadout is often the back end of the barn where your finisher pigs are loaded onto the truck to go to market. Your call sows go out of the barn. Sometimes it could be isoweens or feeder pigs. So it's where animals come out. It's also where animals sometimes come in as well. Your dead stock may go out here, but you bring your gilts in through here too. So the loadout refers to that place where trucks from the outside world that could potentially be contaminated with disease causing viruses or bacteria, it's where those things contact the edge of the barn and the animals are loaded up there. So we, we call that the loadout or the line of separation. She tells us what prompted the launch of the project. So what prompted the loadout project was a large outbreak of PED in Manitoba in the spring of 2022. Up to that point, we thought that we were getting a handle on the PED virus through lots and lots of 
biosecurity surrounding trucking and transport. We knew that transport trucks would be contaminated at assembly yards and abattoirs and that these contaminated trucks would then go back to farms to pick up pigs and potentially spread the virus because the trucks would contact the door of the barn. So we learned that if we washed, dried, disinfected and even baked our trucks, we could kill all the virus on those trucks. But what happened in 2022 is in spite of all this and getting the outbreak under control, we had a huge outbreak in Manitoba again. And so people started asking questions, how could this be where we're doing such a great job on our trucks? Well, it turned out that perhaps even though we can eliminate 100% of the virus on a truck, maybe we can't do it 100% of the time. So maybe 99 out of 100 trucks are virus-free, but maybe one in 100 isn't. And what prompted this possibly was the severe weather. There was a lot of very cold temperatures and snowstorms, which made cleaning and drawing the trucks difficult. And so the, the theory is, is that perhaps the trucks were still causing a problem. And when transport biosecurity fails, we need to have a second layer of biosecurity to protect us at the farm, and that's the loadout biosecurity. I don't think we can assume that those trucks are 100% clean 100% of the time. Dr. Keenly Side outlines who was involved in the project. Okay, well, uh, Suwishin was the, the instigator, Yetta, Yetta Christensen, um, she, she organized it, but then we contracted the Politico's research firm, which is an independent private research company. And so the founder of the research company, um, Doug Monroe, he was the project manager. He hired me as the swine, swine biosecurity and disease expert, and then we hired another veterinarian, Dr. Julian Rays, who's an expert in statistics and literature review and we divided the work between us to do the searching of everything that has been written about loadout so far. She then talks about what the project involved. So what we did is we looked at all the peer-reviewed scientific literature out there that could pertain to loadout. Everything on biosecurity, washing, drying, pig movement, anything we could find. And then we looked at what's called the grey literature. So the grey literature is not a scientific peer-reviewed article, but it's still from a valid trusted source, such as a government website, university, uh, pork industry website, uh, news, conferences, also programs such as Farmscape trusted valid information but it's not necessarily a peer-reviewed uh, research trial and so what I did is I, I compiled a list of uh, 35 trusted grey literature sources and then I looked at everything that had been written about loadout in those sources for the last 10 years. And Dr. Keenly Side will go into what she learned from the review coming up next. Commodities Update Canola futures are trading down across the board this hour. March canola trading at 631.70, down $10.20. May canola trading at 639.50, down $10.30. March Minneapolis wheat trading at 711 and a quarter, that's up two and three quarters of a cent. March Kansas City wheat trading at 625 and 3 quarters up 4 and a quarter cents March Chicago wheat trading at 613 per bushel up 12 and 3 quarters of a cent March corn trading at 466 and a half up 1 and a quarter cents March soybeans trading at 1267 and a quarter down 9 and 3 quarters of a cent March oats trading at 368 and three quarters up one cent. 
And that's the Commodities Update. Welcome back to SaskAg Today. I'm Doug Falconer. As you heard just a few minutes ago, an Edmonton-based veterinary consultant suggests a well-designed loadout can add an additional line of defense against disease transmission when transport biosecurity fails. Dr. Julia Keenly-Slide says a survey of veterinarians showed there's a huge diversity in loadout designs and in biosecurity procedures from farm to farm. She then uh, actually went into what she learned from the review. Well, it was very, very interesting because there's only been one peer-reviewed article that has an actual scientific research trial on loadout design, and that was a staged loadout paper done in 2021 out of the U.S. The rest of the scientific literature doesn't have particular articles on loadout. This is an area that's not been researched very much. But what there is is there's a lot of articles written on biosecurity, and there are references to loadout and practices buried in them. And so that's why we needed Dr. Ray's with his algorithm to be able to mine these articles to get some of the information out. In the gray literature we found a lot more reference because this is a, um, as you mentioned, this is something that's recently gaining a lot more interest as we see disease still spreading even though we've got such great truck washing facilities. And so what we're seeing is that the gray literature often precedes the scientific literature and getting the interest out there and now we'll see more research coming after this hopefully that will look at what is the best way to build your loadout. Right now all we we have is ideas from the field that people are coming up with and some of them are quite good. She tells us who was surveyed and what was asked. So as part of our project, not only we did a literature review, we also did a survey of Western Canadian loadouts. And we used, we used swine veterinarians because they were out there, they visit the most farms of anybody and the most likely to actually see the loadout area. We found this would be easier than actually trying to get farmers to give us feedback. So um, what we did is we, we, ha we contacted veterinarians, had them fill out a survey, the survey questions all came from our literature review. We looked at the recommendations made in the literature and then we made them into survey questions and asked these veterinarians, do you see these practices happening on your farms that you visit? How prevalent are we? So we asked them to rate whether they were uncommon or common or prevalent or very prevalent or, or rarely or never seen. And we divided it into two categories. One is procedures, things you do, like change your boots and coveralls, wash your loadout ramp. The second part is we looked at facilities. Do people have uh, a separate loadout area? Do they have dedicated equipment? Do they have a room for loadout? Um, do they have a ramp or do they have a heated loadout area? So those are the questions on facilities. And so we divided them into two categories. Dr. Keenly's side then outlines her findings. Well, what we found is that there's a huge diversity in loadout facilities being reported by these veterinarians. The most common facility they saw was simply a door at the end of the barn in that the pigs were loaded up the alley straight out the door, up the ramp, outside onto the truck. And uh, that was the most common, but they did report that there are other ones where they actually had heated and closed ones, um, and some of them were using the stage loadout procedure already. Uh, the other thing we found with the diversity, that there's a wide range of procedures being done, is that some of the basic procedures that were recommended in a lot of the gray literature, as well as in some of the scientific literature, such as changing your boots and coveralls, washing after every loadout, we found that those weren't 
commonly done on a wide range of operations. So it says to me that producers may be able to improve their loadout biosecurity just by changing a few procedures to start. It may not need rebuilding a whole loadout area, that if we can improve procedures, it might be less costly to start. She lists some of the key components that should be included when designing a loadout. I think one of the, the biggest components in designing a loadout is it has to be easy to load pigs through. It has to be easy for staff to work in and pigs have to move through it quite well. So we have lots of research out there to show how to design facilities to move pigs and I think people should take that into account. So some of the basic things I'm thinking of is lighting, pigs don't like to move into dark areas, you know, non-slip floors um, and um, places where pigs, pigs aren't bottlenecked. The house to be easy to move a pig, ramps not being too steep. It also has to be easy for staff to move. So a lot of places now are having a separate walkway for staff outside of where the pigs go. And the other thing is it has to be easy to clean. Easy to move pigs, easy to clean. Um, if it's not easy to clean then people don't like to clean it and that's fair enough. And uh, the other thing I would go to is um, line of separation. I would definitely like to see two lines of separation and a staged procedure where there's some kind of barrier between the loadout and the rest of the barn because mistakes happen. And if a pig turns back or kicks a piece of muck off the trailer, um, that that doesn't then get tracked into the barn because there's a barrier and a door that's closed. And I guess the last piece of information that came up was the ventilation. Is that having a ventilation system that was positive pressure so that things weren't sucked back into the main barn from that truck? Because potentially we're suspecting, and we haven't proven it in the scientific literature, but there seems to be some advice out there and some experience saying that maybe that's what's happening. So we have to think about even ventilation, separate ventilation for the loadout area. Dr. Keenly-Side then talks about the effectiveness of a well-designed loadout in reducing or eliminating the potential for cross-contamination. Well, we only have one scientific article on that, and it showed quite clearly using glow germ, which is a powder that, that you, people track back and forth, is that having a staged loadout where you've got the separate loadout and two lines of separation really reduced the amount of contamination that was brought back in the barn. But interestingly enough, it didn't completely eliminate it. it just reduced it and so I think the take-home message is that we have to have layers of biosecurity is that we're not perfect as people and so our systems we can't expect them to be perfect either and I think we have to set ourselves up for success by having several layers of biosecurity so if somebody makes a mistake a pig turns around on the ramp well there's still another door to prevent him from going back in the barn and, and I think that's what we have to continually think about what layers of biosecurity work best in your barn. Dr. Julia Keenly-Side is an Edmonton-based veterinary consultant. And that'll do it for SaskAg Today for today. Be sure to tune in again tomorrow at 12.15 for another edition of the program.